Hello, and thank you for tuning in a new episode of One Giant Leap podcast series titled The Future of Digital Identity. I'm your host, Besma Dawas, and I'm joined with our special guest, Tracy Follows, the founder and futurist of Future Made. It is such a pleasure to have you with us today, Tracy. Good to be here. Thanks so much for the kind invite. Uh, Tracy, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you have ended up here where you are today. <laughs> okay, it's quite a long journey. Um, <laughs> I'll try and um, do the summary. Um, so I, when I went to university, I studied philosophy and then I stayed on to f- um, study some uh, a, a master's in um, the philosophy of technology, if you like, and mm-hmm. of policy making and technology. So I've always been interested in ethics and philosophy as well as technology and society but when I left university I actually went into advertising and worked in communications and marketing for quite a long time about 25 years I became more and more interested in foresight rather than insight so how could we plan and prepare and possibly predict things that were going to happen rather than just um, react to insights we found at the present moment and I ended up in futures and future studies, um, often known as strategic foresight now. I went to the University of Houston and, and studied future studies there um, and um, set up my own company. And for the last, I'd say, seven or eight years, I've been working in this futures field. And um, there is nothing like it at the moment because um, one of the, if the only upside of COVID is that people have become much more um, welcoming and more engaged in the area of futures and planning and preparing for things that could happen ahead. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's right. And um, I, I know that you've written um, the the book titled Future of You. Tell us a little mm. bit about why you have written this book. Oh, yes. Thank you. Um, I started to think about it um, in 2016, 2017. I I um, got a publisher and we started to map out the book. But I, but around about 2016, 17, I was becoming very interested in the future of identity and what was happening with our own personal identities and how they were being, I guess, um, sometimes manufactured, sometimes um, merged, um, definitely sort of... Uh, reacting to digital technologies so there were some big implications for society and for individuals there Um, but of course as I was writing the book then we had um, COVID-19 kind of become the pandemic around January 2020 and then I restarted the book and I was writing much more with a really clear sense then about how some of these digital technologies were going to be kind of rolled up and used um, to define our notion of identity in the 21st century. But, I mean, you asked me why I wrote it. Around about that time of 2016, 17, um, I was receiving emails from Facebook um, telling me to, oh, why don't I update my status? And though the emails were coming to my email address, um, they were actually addressing me in the content of the email as Byron. So it was, dear Byron, why don't you... Um, see what your friends are doing. They'd love to see your status update. Now, my name's not Byron. I'm not Byron Loweth. But they seem to think that I was this individual attached to Tracy Follow's email address. And so it became very obvious to me that somehow my Facebook account had become compromised. I tried to change my login details. 
Facebook asked me for my passport or my driving license. So I scanned in my passport, thinking that I would be able to recover this, change my login details and carry on with my Facebook account. But that's not what happened. Facebook came back and told me that I wasn't who I said I was. So apparently, according to Facebook, I'm not Tracy Follows, the owner of Tracy Follows Facebook feed. You've got to so have a counter identity with, like, based on Facebook. You, there's two identities of you, basically. Yeah, one as me, me with all my friends and my colleagues yeah. and my, you know, work positions and my holidays or whatever, my photos, and this Facebook account, which may or may not have that content, which belongs to a chap called Byron Lowerth. What became very clear to me in that instant was that machines are reading my identity rather than other humans reading my identity. And wow. they seem to have the... um they seem to have the final say. So if I were to say, no, I'm Tracy Follows, and I was to come up against the machine saying, no, you're not Tracy Follows, I'm not going to win that argument perversely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so that was true. why I wrote it. Yeah. So, so Tracy, how do you define digital identity um, these days? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I think it's a very, since you ask it, um, I think it's a very broad term at the moment and people are getting quite confused about it. It could mean anything from um, kind of a state passport, a state issued passport, as I've just said, like a um, an official authentication that you use to verify yourself as you go around, around your life um, and, and do what business you need to do. Um, or it could be, you know, how you identify with a cultural group. You know, we've seen a lot of the rise of identity politics in terms of the social cultural sphere um, with certain group characteristics, whether they be race, gender, sexuality, whatever. So it's right. actually very, it's kind of becoming very, very broad now. But I guess from the point of view, particularly as I was writing the book, digital identity is really the 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 attributes or characteristics that we might use to set ourselves apart from other people. And those used to be analog and exist in the physical world. And increasingly, now those are digital and therefore made up of data. So what I guess I'm saying is that increasingly digital identity is the attributes that we would have um, we would have used to describe or identify or verify ourselves in the physical world have now been transported into the digital world. And partly because of that, they're not the same attributes. So we're looking at a new set of attributes and characteristics that will be used to identify us, which are, you know, obviously made up of data rather than flesh and bones, if you like, in the physical world. Right. That's, that's a very different world that we're going to find ourselves in. Definitely. And in your opinion, which technology is becoming part of our personal identity and how that will affect individuals and groups, even nations in the future? Mm. Well, you'll know as well as me that um, biometrics is a huge potential market. I mean, it's quite a big market now, but it's a huge potential market for this. And what we find is that whether it be facial recognition or fingerprint access or even you know gesture control or as some of the patents that I think Amazon and Apple have um, pending, whether it's you know the veins in the palm of our hands, um, you know these are the sorts of biometrics that are now looking very very likely to be the leading 
kind of source of technology for identification. Of course, it could be the iris in the eye as well. Um, but what we're finding is with biometrics, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of there in the phrase, the body of the individual becomes the new interface. So no longer do you require a smartphone or another kind of device that's handheld or an extension to you. You know, you are the interface. You are the connection point. You are the uh, the authentication. <laughs> you as a yeah. um, made up of a lot of digital data that's been scanned and analysed and monitored and is used to judge you, you know, you have become the interface yourself. So I think biometrics is probably the most likely and also the most, uh, well, the least understood potentially and um, the most, you know, the most repressive possibly, depending on who is in control of that data. Right. So, you know, with technology, there's always like... um an upside and there's always a downside. Mm. So let's talk about the positivity of you first. Mm. Um, <laughs> what do you think is the upside of technology in creating identity? Well, you're absolutely right. And in the um, in the book, the subtitle to the future of you is, can your identity survive 21st technology? Um, what I'm asking in the book is, yes, we probably can survive it, but we can also thrive. That's, that's part of the conclusion. If we can get our own hands on some of the the, um, the control around some of this technology and it becomes much more user-centric rather than, you know, technology platform-centric or, or state actor or government-centric. Um, um, and one of the interesting examples is around what's happened, of course, during COVID with um, virtual worlds and virtual gaming. We've mm-hmm. seen huge amounts of people sort of who weren't necessarily, um, you know, the classic gamer stereotype, delving into these worlds and building themselves alternative identities. You know, they're they're exploring different and alternative and, you know, exciting identities in these fictional worlds, if you like. Um, yeah, sometimes yeah. To the, yeah, sometimes to the extent where the <laughs> fictional world feels much more pleasant um, and they spend much more time in it than than possibly in the real world because you again you've got a bit more control over the, the standards the norms and the values of the fictional world than perhaps you have sometimes in the real world and so what we've seen is this explosion now you know whether it's Fortnite or Roblox or the Sims coming back in popularity of people really enjoying exploring identity and feeling liberated and feeling like there's a place where there aren't so many restrictions on them and there aren't so many sort of um, expectations on them socially and they can explore identity themselves. And so I think that's really exciting and a very positive, um, you know, signal really. Right. I I see my kids, um, even children, and I think this also opens up their minds and, you know, have them kind of thinking out of the box and and be more creative. I think it will add to their kind of development um, skills as well um, as an upside I've seen personally. Oh, that's great great to know. And I think that's I think that's really interesting because. What I found also in my research is that, particularly in the UK, I don't have the f- figures for other regions necessarily, but I'm, I'm sure it's very similar. The UK Children's Commission found that for children who were 13 years old, there were already 1,300 pictures and videos and online representations of them all over the internet, mm-hmm. mainly from their parents, you know, who'd taken stuff as they're growing up. But once you get to that point, then 
you know, by the time you're 13, your identity is in some some ways fixed and has been created for you. Right. So, yeah. which is it's which is um, you know, not necessarily the right thing. And so, these virtual worlds and gaming platforms, as you just said, you know, allow kids to express themselves, to discover and learn more. So, I think that's that's good. Yeah, and and in terms of in the you know in the flip side, in terms of the, you know security and authentication, how do you bind mm. digital twin to real identity? I know you tapped a little bit into that in the beginning, but how do you manage audit secure digital identities? Well, it, it's going to depend, isn't it, on the system that each it could be each nation state, or increasingly it could be each social network. You know, we're getting to a point where the social networks are bigger than nation states and potentially more powerful than some. And um, so it will be the terms and ser- terms of service that they that they set really, which is you know a little problematic in that if you're a user slash citizen, you aren't going to get that much say in it. Um, what I'm much more interested in um, than a kind of centralized um, identity structure like that is the decentralized kind of digital wallet solution where you as a user can create your certifications or um, proofs, if you like, and you can put them into your digital wallet and then you use them as you go around the world as you see fit, even when you kind of have to, I don't know, use a QR code or it or it kind of pings back to some other database. The person in the shop or the, the platform on which you are digitally doesn't have to see any information about you it's just told that there's an attestation a proof that's been made and um yes you have um fulfilled that um Mm. you know like i say it's an age verification you know i don't need to know how old you are i just need to know you're over 18 sort of thing um and so i'm much more interested in those kinds of uh, solutions because as i alluded to earlier i think they're much that's much more in the realm of of user-centric Okay, and and do you think there's a role that the governments can play um, in accelerating the widespread adoption of digital IDs? Yeah, well, in the UK in particular, they've built some, um, they've built a framework for digital trust. So they're trying to build principles around this, so that whoever, whatever companies are in this space, are are building their products and services to the right kinds of, of principles and protocols. Um, I think the ecosystem is very confused at the moment because whilst the state's doing that, which is fine, um, setting out the kind of guidelines uh, for behaviour um, for the ecosystem, they're also developing their own sort of health-centric apps, um, encouraging people you know, to um, upload health credentials or to uh, prove health credentials. In particular, here in the UK, we have this NHS app, which was a kind of test and tracing thing, and now is becoming over time potentially into some sort of COVID passport system. Where So at the moment, we have two systems kind of working simultaneously, the kind of free market of the decentralised digital identity wallets and apps. And then we have this sort of state-controlled biosecurity kind of health approach which is much more centralized and i think um what the government should should be doing is not creating a second um system like that what they should be doing is just working better with the with the free market to um create the right sort of databases and systems that the free market and the private enterprises can then dip into and and use so i think it's quite confusing for for citizens and consumers and users at the moment 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so basically, you, talk, you just said that basically, um, you know, governments, so digital identities did help governments kind of tackle or, um, you know, manage COVID-19. Um, so can you give us a little bit of example of that and uh, whether this is proven uh, to, to really help governments tackle um, the pandemic? I think um, in some countries they did, um, so particularly in Asia, so in Taiwan, um, in um, is it Singapore, um, I think South Korea, I mean, they're much more up with their digital um, applications and they, they've used it in different ways um, to get citizens to either participate and upload information or allow um, so in the in the in the case of Taiwan for example you can go into sort of convenience stores and, and get a mask and you can look on the uh, on the app to see where there are stocks and uh, what hours of opening there are and it helps you navigate around the system to get what you want and that's a participatory um, way of doing this a much more sort of authoritarian way is probably the Chinese system where you literally are green, amber, red. If you um, are deemed to be, you know, suffering from COVID or been in uh, in the proximity of someone who has, you know, you can't go out, you can't go to the restaurant, you won't be able to do certain things. I don't like that. And I don't yeah. think that is the right sort of system, particularly for Western democracies. It's creeping in, which is not a very good sign, certainly creeping in in the US and the UK, right. et cetera. Um, so, there are different ways to use technology. We can use it to empower citizens, to give them information, and then they can make their own decisions in a responsible way. Or we can use it to coerce citizens and to get them to do what we want them to do, as the state would see it, and um, and all behave um, in one particular way and drive a consensus and a conformity. I'm in favour of the former and not the latter. And I do worry that we are somewhat down the road of the latter, to be honest. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the way different governments from around the world, um, you know, the way they manage and tackled, um, you know, uh, the pandemic situation really differs. Um, and, um, and yeah, you raised, uh, you know, a big concern. And I hope we don't kind of go to that route um, <laughs> anytime in the future or, you know. So, you know, mm. then in this case, do you think mm. that, there should be international digital identity standards and policy? It's a very interesting question that. I think there are way different, way, again, different ways of approaching an interoperability or, as you say, an international standard, particularly for travel. I can see how that would be very useful. Um, and I think there's nothing wrong with an interoperability of uh, international standards. So everything works together in context, in a networked way, because that's the way the world works. And if you're traveling, you need all the actors, all the uh, companies, all the organizations involved in um, making international travel possible to sort of sign up to guidelines or principles or protocols. What I don't want to necessarily see is one global institution organization pressing down on to um, otherwise independent sort of private companies or services and mm. um, kind of, what would you say, um, you know, coercing people or controlling the ways in which we can use our digital identity. So, again, I think we have to try our best to 
approach this as a bottom up, not a top down sort of uh, sort of solution. I, I guess what it all comes down to, and what most of my answers are, are probably coming down to, is there's a difference in a belief system around digital identity. If you, if you believe it should all be centralised, then it can end up quite authoritarian and it's very top down. If you believe in decentralization, then you can give people the tools to participate in this these um, these new technologies and rely on them to use these tools responsibly and creatively. And I'm, I'm much more in favour of the latter. Definitely. I'm, I'm totally with with you as well on that. Um, so let's talk a little bit now, uh, Tracy, about the future. Um, hmm. How, uh, you know, how do you see digital identities uh, look like in the future and what trends will we witness? Hmm. Well, one of the most exciting things, I suppose, is the trend towards avatars. <laughs> so um, people taking cool. on these other um, identities or, or other versions of an existing identity, turning up in sort of online meetings as different characters, you know, all, all that having a, in potentially in the future having a wardrobe of avatars where they can send a different avatar to a different type of occasion, whether it's a, a social meet or a work meeting or a conference to speak at you know you can have a wardrobe of avatars where you pick the most appropriate one for the occasion or the context <laughs> i think that's really what's that hmm? that will be fun like to see and you know different <laughs> yeah i mean it's really fun and also it, it it um it encourages to think a bit more about how you show up and how you communicate um just with you know your demeanor and your presentation and representation. I think that's going to be fascinating psychologically for people. And of course, it might mean in the future that you can turn up to two, three, four meetings all at the same time because you've sent your avatars rather than you physically having to be there. So I know there's always the um, the trend that we hear, which is, oh, we're going to have more leisure time in the future. We won't, it'll be a four day week and then a three day week. And then, you know, why would we want to work? <laughs> I actually think. Are you telling us that we're going to? learn ourselves like are we going to have different versions of ourselves but how would they perform like how would they be us basically you're saying like you know I could be in in two meetings at the same time would they be like intelligent or something yeah exactly because it will be driven by AI and so AI will know what you think about certain things um, and how you would respond to certain things I mean it's interesting even now in sales meetings for example if you're in uh, if you're in a meeting with a client you know there's plenty of um productivity tools that use ai which you know capture the meeting notes work out what needs to be done next um puts down a list of um, all the action points and actually can start off some of the action points for you so you know some of those things are already happening so as we get closer and closer to merge with ai not just collaborate, but in a sense, kind of merge with AI, it'll be able to do, it'll be an extension of our own personality and representation, but also our identity. And it might be the case that it really bends our notions of time and space, because not only could we turn up to, you know, more than one meeting at the same time, we might be able to meet up with our own other selves (laughs) <laughs> so maybe oh my god <laughs> it's a little bit complicated yeah well but, you really, know, it, yeah it's it's really interesting and uh really creative and i think it's not that far a leap from oh i have my 
you know, analog self in the real world. And then I've got digital selves in these virtual gaming worlds and virtual platforms. It's really an extension uh, of that into the future. So I think we'll, I think we're going to have sort of multi-identity identities, if you like, and an identity is fairly fluid now, but it's going to get a lot more fluid in the future. Yeah, I can see that happening actually um, sometime soon, not really mm. so far in the future, as you said. We're already mm. witness, witnessing, um, you know, some sort of, um, you know, this um, at the moment, like with, as you said, with the different avatars and the gaming world and everything. So that would be really interesting to see. Um, and with that, um, we we reached the end of this podcast. Um, and I would really like to thank you, uh, Tracy, for the uh, the very uh, valuable insights um, into the future of digital identity and everything about I- the digital identity. So thank you so much uh, for your participation, and um, we'll look forward to hear more about your your future books and future achievements. Oh, thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Tracy.